Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of The National Interest and our most frequent guest on the Americano podcast. And we're going to be asking, has Corona killed Trump's presidency? Jacob, we've done quite a few of these podcasts in the last three years. And quite often, you seem to think that Trump's presidency is is done, he's finished. And you've been wrong so far. But I'm guessing that you think this time you're onto a winner. I do, Freddie. I think the notion that Trump is not in serious trouble is bollocks. <laughs> he bungled his address, his national address the other evening, inciting a almost two thousand over two thousand point drop in the stock market yesterday, the worst day since uh, 1987, and he has conveyed ineptitude and incompetence in almost every area of dealing with the coronavirus. In fact, far from helping to solve it, he has exacerbated the crisis. Now it appears that members of his administration, including Attorney General William P. Barr, Vice President Mike Pence, and perhaps Trump himself, have all been potentially exposed to the virus itself. Trump's demise has been prognosticated many times, but this, in this instance, I think he has confronted a crisis that he cannot evade. But, I mean, the fact that uh, Trump himself or members of the cabinet might become infected with corona it doesn't necessarily have any bearing on how it affects him politically, does it? I mean, if anything, it could help him. No, I don't think it will help him. He has sedulously promised to his followers that... The coronavirus is a hoax, and he resisted taking it seriously. Now he could be hoist by his own petard. Well, but I mean, let's imagine that Trump does get the coronavirus. Do you think everybody will say, yay, serves him right for being so incompetent? Or do you think most sort of sane, decent Americans will say, poor guy, I hope he gets better? His detractors and adversaries his hardcore adversaries will, will chortle, would chortle at the prospect. Trump himself, a, a notorious germaphobe, being felled by, by this virus would, would be an, certainly be an ironic development. But I don't think it's, it's something that the American population at large is, is hoping for. What they want is a competent president who can convey a sense that he is on top of this situation and is also empathetic. It was widely reported that Joe Biden's speech yesterday in which he listed a number of measures that could be taken to try and mitigate the severity of the coronavirus was far more presidential than anything Trump himself has done. 
And in fact, Trump himself resorted again to one of his childish tweets this morning, totally partisan, claiming that Obama and Biden had been far more ineffective in combating viruses than he had. But what we are facing now dwarfs anything that the United States has faced since the, the pandemic in 1918. Well, I mean, so what, what you're saying then is that it, the coronavirus does not just hurt Trump. It also really helps Biden's candidacy. I think it propelled Biden to victory in the Democratic primary. You're the primary voters wanted someone responsible. The coronavirus is already beginning to create a palpable fear in America. And it turned out that there was no way that the Democratic primary voters were going to entrust the future of their party to a left-wing demagogue, an irresponsible nut job like Bernie Sanders. Biden profited immensely from this, and I think he will continue to do so. But Biden is not exactly a, a steady hand. I mean, it's well acknowledged that he's not in control of all his senses. He seems to be rambling. His campaign have encouraged him to make shorter speeches because he tends to go off the point. I mean, he's not exactly the steady hand that America may be crying out for. I completely disagree with you. Okay. Uh, there is no evidence of any diminution in Biden's mental faculties. The truth is, he's always rambled. He's empathetic, and he's somewhat self-involved, and he's a gas bag at bottom. Now, again, the coronavirus could play to his benefit. It keeps him under wraps. The less that Biden appears publicly, the better he will do politically. Yes, you're right. The campaign has already severed his speeches to last no more than seven minutes, he doesn't need to say that much. He just needs to let Trump be Trump. Yes. And one thing we were talking about before we started recording was that you could see this now turn into a, a virtual election. And that would mean it would be fought on TV a bit, but more through social media. So you'd really have people looking to Trump's Twitter feed and to Biden's Twitter feed to form their judgments about how to vote. And you think that would help Biden? I do, because... It prevents Trump from holding his rallies, which were an integral part of his victory in 2016. If he's just reduced to sending crazy tweets, he looks like a man raving on an island instead of being cheered on by tens of thousands in a stadium. Trump also derives huge psychic satisfaction, and he requires this for his ego he's going to be lonely in the White House. He's going to be raging as his advisors, as he's already doing. And he has no idea what, what he should do next. For Biden, it will mean that he can't really do much fundraising except for online. So he may have to rely on Bloomberg's billions to put him over the top. But I would say overall, a virtual campaign is better for Biden than it is for Trump. I would say there's a grave danger that Trump's critics are risking putting themselves in the in the camp of kind of cheering on destruction and corona. And that, yes, Trump may have not handled the press conferences well so far, but all he needs is one good speech or one good public appearance. And quite quickly, that will sort of reverse the idea that he's he's bungling and hopeless. And it could also 
help create the idea that his critics are cheering on death, which is not a position that they want to find themselves in. Talk about grasping at straws, Freddie. <laughs> One good speech will not turn this around for Trump. The problem he faces is that the top public health officials, including Robert Redfield from the Centers for Disease Control and Anthony Fauci, are publicly contradicting Trump in congressional testimony. No, the wall on the southern border is not stopping the coronavirus. No, this is not a hoax. It's a serious problem. Trump's only silver lining could be if his original hunch was correct. But again, Jacob, you're doing the never Trump thing of sort of half half truthing there, because I mean, technically speaking, Trump didn't call the virus a hoax, did he? He well, first of all, I'm not a never Trumper. OK, um, yeah, but I'm just uh, doing a never Trumper thing. I'm, and nor am I trying to impersonate one. <laughs> you are. I know you are. objective analysis that I'm providing, Freddie. Okay, Even if you may bridle at my insights. <laughs> well, Trump, yes. I mean, look, he downplayed the severity of the, of the coronavirus. He, he's trying to blame it on China. I mean, I think the overall message is pretty clear. The only thing that, that, could, re, that could help him is if, in fact, the virus is not spreading as quickly as people fear, that people are overreacting, that the economy starts to begin to hum again, that uh, the measures that we're taking... I mean, the the situation has changed. There will be more testing. Uh, They're shutting down schools, including here in Washington, D.C. So if these measures actually work, and if this only is a problem for a couple of weeks and people are overreacting. If you look at the pictures of the grocery stores, it's almost impossible. It's difficult to find food in some of them. If all of this turns out to be overblown, yes, then Trump can crow and say he had it right all along. At the moment, however, that stance looks pretty shaky. Well, so, I mean, Trump has been very, very lucky so far. Uh, You think his luck has run out. He has been extremely lucky, but you know, every gambler at some point begins to lose politically. You can, you can only throw the dice so many times. And tr- Trump's own history is one of crash and burn. If you, if you look at his real estate history, the man has shown an incredible vitality to come back again and again. So you probably shouldn't underestimate him. He's been underestimated many times in the past. But in this instance, if you really do have what the public health experts are saying could be up to 1.5 million deaths in America, I, I think Trump would be obliterated at the polls in November, and so would the GOP. I do think the Democrats would, would win the Senate. But look, this is, this is all way ahead Politically, right now, the Republicans are simply scrambling to try and get a fix on this. Well, one interesting piece I read yesterday in the Washington Post was about the limits of positive thinking. We know that Trump has sort of sustained his presidency through uh, a kind of boosterism that actually works quite well in many ways. I mean, it certainly works to convince Americans all the time that you're turning a corner, that 
you know, America's back. And positive thinking can actually go quite a long way for a leader. But perhaps now um, he's facing something so horrific that no amount of uh, happy talk can wish it away. Maybe. I mean, he needs good news. And uh, if he can get it, he can spin it. But right now, he's not. And his skill set is being ruthlessly exposed by this coronavirus. Also, his whole America First approach to this is not likely to succeed in, in, in their, they keep targeting China. You need a coordinated effort. You also need a coordinated international economic effort. The G7 was rudderless. There's no American leadership. So both at home and abroad, I think Trump's taking on a lot of water. Well, this is the other big area of interest is that, that perhaps corona on an international scale is, is a slayer of populism in that populist movements, all the things that let populist movements thrive are threatened by uh, a global health pandemic. That is a very astute point, Freddie. I wish I'd come up with that myself. I'm <laughs> slightly envious. It's, it, part of it, of course, is that you can't have mass meetings and assemblies because everyone's hunkering down and we're all, you know, anyone who thinks that they have this virus is supposed to self-quarantine. So that puts the kibosh on the populist movement. In fact, you see that right now with Bernie Sanders, whose campaign was almost wholly reliant on these rallies that he would hold on college campuses and elsewhere. Yes, He's had and to I mean, shut all that down. In China, no one's so, talking about Hong Kong anymore. Uh, right. The Gilets Jaunes have gone home. Popular protest is, is, is not the done thing anymore. On the other hand, it could also lead, and it could also lead to more volatility as uh, Iran is now targeting American troops. So we could have a lot of geopolitical volatility, a lot of uh, elite conflict, actually. How will Iran and uh, Venezuela and Russia deal with the plunge in oil prices and, and how will they assess their own interests? So we could be in a revolutionary period right now, Freddie. Well, look, the, the uh, missiles in Iraq are an interesting part of it. I mean, the thinking yesterday was that perhaps these militias in Iraq, these Iranian-backed militias in Iraq were testing the attention span of Trump and whether he he was kind of able to respond because he'd be so preoccupied with coronavirus. But then, you know, it does seem that America did respond quite quickly and dramatically in the early hours of this morning by sending, uh, I think, missiles to five different sites. But that equally could mean a tit-for-tat escalation while the whole world is concentrating on coronavirus. Uh, you have the war that everyone was terrified would happen in January with the killing of Soleimani. That, that happens now. Right. And you could also have a regime like China decide that it needs a foreign policy adventure to distract from its domestic problems. The interesting thing about the American foreign policy establishment and the government is that it seems to just grind on regardless of who's president. So you, you think that uh, China, having created the virus, it could it be the moment where it asserts its global supremacy? Well, no, uh, I, and also, I don't think it's fair to say that they created the virus. It sounds like they did it deliberately. The problem with China is that they refuse to crack down 
on their open-air markets. And yes, China does deserve a lot of blame for the coronavirus, but it's, it's not something that uh, was concocted as conspiracy theories would have it in some Chinese laboratory. Now the Chinese, incidentally, are blaming America for the coronavirus. So the conspiracy theories are flying thick and fast. People are saying it's a CIA creation. You're quite right, Jacob. I take it back. I should not say that China created it. But I think we can say and we should say that it originated in China. I think it's madness not to make that point. 100%. And where do you stand on calling it the Wuhan flu? Um, Doesn't bother me. I mean, that's... That was the epicenter. Um, but there seems to be a sort of silly political fight over the definitions. Whatever. I think we're in, in uh, we have more serious problems than arguing about the terminology. I quite agree, Jacob. I think... That's a first, Freddie. <laughs> it's a first today. We've had, we've had our moments. But I hope that uh, you will be joining us again soon on the podcast and that you stay safe because um, podcasts... That's right. There's the... nothing to impede further altercations on the phone between us quite right too all right jacob all the best thank you freddie thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that episode of americano and i'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback positive comments or constructive comments only please to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite (laughs) 